G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast and uh, it's been a long time, but footy, it's great to have you back, woof, 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 as Doug Elliott used to say on World of Sport and of course we mean men's footy, yes, we know women's footy has been going uh, for a while and they're having a great season, no disrespect at all to them, but the men's stuff. Well, last bit of action we saw that meant anything was Melbourne breaking that premiership drought back at the end of last September. In some ways, it seems an eternity ago. But here we are again, about to commence a new season's journey. That means a number of things to this podcast. It also means that we proudly reintroduce our major sponsor, that is Palmerbet. And we will have odds for every game in our preview episode provided by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season from them. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. But it's going to be a big show with our big new acquisition. And he's done a lot of homework in the lead-up to round one. He's all set to go. As I say, a very good evening in uh, this recording instance to my co-host, Robert Shaw. How are you going, Shorey? Good evening, Rowan, and good evening to our listeners. And um, the technical issues have been, I'm actually wearing headphones and I've got a new microphone. So you look good, you sound good. They are very dulcet tones, I can tell you. Welcome to Footyology Preview for uh, round one. Uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be big. And I tell you what, we, I mean, we'll say this virtually every week, but Aren't there some great games? Round one is so hard to pick, isn't it? Do you find that? Yeah, well, mate, what's changed, though? What's changed? We know there's going to be significant upsets, isn't there? We know that uh, some of the power clubs are going to flex their muscles. And we're looking for those middle-of-the-road teams that just snuck into the finals or just missed out uh, to see whether they're on track to make an impression this year. There's always some rogue round one results, isn't there? I'm pretty sure it was last year, wasn't it? Adelaide beat Geelong in, in round one, which looked a bit strange come the end of the year. I always remember uh, back in 2006, two Essendon beating Sydney in round one. The Swans, of course, ended up runners-up by just one point. Essendon, I think, finished uh, pretty close to the bottom of the ladder. So strange things happen in round one. You've got to... Be ready to uh, for all possibilities. But uh, we're going to have an in-depth look at all nine games and uh, hopefully point you in the right direction insofar as your tips are concerned. So we'll get into that very shortly. But first, we've got some news to talk about. Let's do that right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, most of the news uh, this week, not surprisingly, involving the start of a new AFL men's season, but still 
some important stuff bubbling away in the background. None the least um, speculation about AFLW and, in fact, how the next AFLW season is going to look. Um, we already know it's going to be a bigger concern, of course, with 18 teams now part of the competition with the introduction of four more clubs, Essendon, Port Adelaide, Hawthorne and Sydney. So we get the full 18 as of next season. Um, and that is part of the reason, of course, there's been a reconsideration of the uh, duration of the season and when it should be played. And um, the betting now seems to be, or the AFL Commission has given provisional approval for a change in timing of the AFLW season where it would start in August and uh, go through to about, I think about mid-November, um, straddling the spring carnival, but before the crickets really fired up and uh, beating that Christmas deadline. Um, it'd still be a fairly packed sort of season. I've got to say, though, Robin, I'm interested in your views on this. Look, I, I watch a lot of the women's football and, I think it's been great so far, but it's uh, it's a big ask expecting to play so much footy in really hot weather. It's been even more difficult this season, of course, with uh, the, the uh, goings on with COVID and how that's messed with the scheduling. I think if they can get a, uh, a season that sort of more closely aligns with traditional football weather and a time of year, that's going to be beneficial for the women's game. Um, not just in terms of credibility, but in terms of um, increasing that pool of public interest. How do you see it? Look, there's been a lot of uh, research done and, and important research done on the impact of injuries on with the girls and the number of ACLs from the from a physiological point of view to um, what you've just raised, which is the heat and hard grounds. Uh, we know how hot it gets through our summer and also the... Uh, while the grounds are in great condition, they are very hard. So that's got to be a consideration. August, approaching September, we're just starting to come into some good weather, but the grounds will still be tacky, and that'll that, that'll uh, that'll be a good thing, I think. My issues are that uh, these prof well these professional footballers are actually unprofessional, like I used to be and have to go to work from nine to five, find time for training, ask their boss, can I travel to play Perth in uh, Fremantle in Fremantle? And can I have Monday and Tuesday off to recover? Um, they've already done that. They've already made their arrangements. So for me, this is a work leisure uh, sport issue because they've got to go back in a few months time and say, my season is starting in August. Um, am I allowed to have two lots of time off? So that's going to be a real issue. And of course, my third issue, and I can't let it go because it's inconsistent. The commission has given conditional approval. And now, as uh, legal counsel Dylan said, we can now go and speak to the AFLPA we can speak to the clubs and we can speak to the players. Why don't you do your homework first, get the lay of the land, do what the AFL do, run it through the papers to get the public perception, because this is totally what the opposite to what they're doing in Tasmania. They're totally handballing this and say, this is a club issue, 
come back to us, the Commission. So it's another example of the inconsistency of decision-making, whereas one is about con uh, Commission conditional approval and the other one is, well, we want a broad majority for Tasmania. Now, Rowan, can, if you can tell me what a broad majority, are we in if it's 11-7 or is it 12-6, Rowan? And what's the difference between 12 and 6? I know I've changed the topic, but you don't want to get me going on this, as you know. Well, it's just uh, it's just them sort of giving themselves a, a bit of wriggle room, isn't it? So it, it seems a bit cynical. I mean, look, I, I think a key moment for women's football is going to be, you know, how and when they make that decision to take them fully professional as well. I mean, how how far down the track is that? Is it there a, a chicken and egg thing here? I mean, um, the standard does continue to improve, but will it rise to uh, a greater level again if it goes fully professional? Can the game afford to pay the sort of wages that would be commensurate with a fully professional AFLW competition? I do get the impression that, you know, the AFL itself sort of loves the symbolism of having a women's competition, but it isn't necessarily fully invested in, you know, putting its money where its mouth is, literally, and and that would certainly happen with making it full time. So, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fairly difficult developmental path at times, but um, we're at least up to an eighteen team competition for next year, and uh, that's another step along the way. Another thing, just logistically too, and you mentioned this, is the timing. I know that the um, a lot of the players and coaches, etc., are worried about not having. Uh, enough time to recover from this season before they start preparing for next season. But then what's the alternative? Do you hold off until August 2023 and then you end up having to wait, you know, a year and a half? And it was a bit like um, soccer faced this similar problem when they went from the NSL to the A-League back in, uh, I think it was, what, 2004, 2005, you know. So timing will be an issue. But, um, look, some big questions being tackled by AFLW, certainly the timing of their competition is paramount among those. Uh, look, another important news story we just need to touch on quickly, Rob, and um, gee, some ominous overtones about this one as well, and that is talking about, uh, I guess, contingency arrangements um, should COVID interfere with the competition again, um, specifically about Perth. Uh, which is now starting to get a bit of a, a run on cases after having been effectively shut off from the rest of the country for so long. The border's now open, and I guess they're paying a, a bit of a price for that in some ways. But, um, wow, you know, I mean, this season is sort of starting with more of a, a relatively normal feel about it than the previous two, isn't it? But just hearing Brad Scott talking about... Um, you know, what might have to happen with, say, West Coast and Fremantle. There's always constant reminders, aren't there, in the in the climate in which we now live, that major disruption to life, let alone a sporting competition, is only an outbreak or a flare-up in this insidious um, disease away, isn't it? Well, it's not. It's not just a football thing, Rowan. You've summed it up. It's a, it's a, a lifestyle or a life situation. You could get it tomorrow. I could go into school tomorrow. And um, 
And of course, you've got Kelly and Ryan already in, in um, um, having to uh, sit it out because of the, the COVID protocol. So um, the option... Well, well, not even COVID protocols for them. They've got COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very confident in this one with the AFL and Brad Scott that they will have the contingency plans. It is bad luck for the two West Australian sides. They could be on the road again. But the key is to keep their list healthy and um, to ensure that uh, they give themselves the best shot because West Coast in particular, besides Kelly and Ryan, are going in with a significant injury list in their first game. So it's really important for them. We'll talk about it later. How important for them if they have to get on the road. They've, they've just got to beat Gold Coast at home over the weekend. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, uh, obviously, people will be aware all clubs now have these list of 20 top-up players, which were handed into the league. I think Monday night was the the deadline for those. But, um, you know, you'd expect the vast, vast majority of those not to be required. It's more an in-case scenario. But, unfortunately, for the Eagles, and, yeah, look, we will discuss this in detail, but just before we... uh, before we get into that, uh, here's just a, a very quick snapshot of their injury list currently. Yo, Darling, Kelly, Sheed, Allen, Cripps, Cole, Witherden, Edwards, Shuey, Duggan. Um, fair toll that, isn't it? Or do you want to start off with that one? It's the last <laughs> round. <laughs> no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let their fans recover from that casualty list before we get around oh, yeah. to actually previewing the game. But... Uh, they have actually, they have no doubt, they have had the preseason from hell, the Eagles. So, in one respect, I think things can only get better for them from now on. So, a couple of major news stories floating around, but the biggest news story is the start of the 2022 AFL season. Nine massive games. The action kicks off Wednesday evening at the MCG. We're here to preview them all. Let's get into it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round one of the 2022 AFL season begins at the, uh, let's say, unusual starting time of Wednesday, 7.10pm at the MCG in a grand final rematch between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Of course, the Demons memorably breaking that 57-year premiership drought over in Perth last September. Well, their next meeting will be on more familiar territory for both these sides. Palmerbet, of course, once again, proud sponsors of the Footyology podcast have provided the head-to-head odds for all these games this week. And uh, let's have a look what they are telling us Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs are shaping up for head-to-head. And perhaps not surprisingly, it is Melbourne, which will start a reasonably warm favourite at $1.57. The Western Bulldogs paying $2.36. Of course, Rob, if you're looking at margins only and you saw that grand final margin is 74 points, you'd think, well, that might be fair enough. But a lot of water's got under the bridge Pretty special circumstances, a grand final. Uh, what do you think we can expect in the return bout a good six months later? Well, it's going to be an intriguing game because um, the Bulldogs have uh, named 
no new players. And um, so you thought, well, going into a new year, there might be a little bit of um, a new blood injected to try and um, um, enthuse the team. So Bevo's pretty confident about the squad that he's got. Um, the other thing about it is Melbourne are basically missing their half-back line from this game. Harrison Petty, Trent Rivers and Michael Hibbert were a fantastic line last year. And what they gave, particularly Petty, and I want you to think about this, they've named May at fullback, fine, and they've named Lever at centre-half back. I'm not sure I've gone to many games where Lever's actually been the key pin at centre-half back. They want him intercepting. So I'm a little bit surprised that Adam Tomlinson hasn't come in as a straight swap for Harrison Petty. That's a really good point about Lever's strength. But, uh, gee, just in terms of depth, though, it says a lot about their depth, doesn't it, that despite those absences, they can come up with a selected halfback line of Jake Bowie, uh, Jake Lever and James Harms. It's pretty handy. Well, it is. And um, they've uh, they've got uh, – he played 20 games last year and got injured just on the eve of the finals. Jaden Hunt was uh, – you know, he was playing uh, forward line um, and he was moved back last year, back to his preferred natural running position. So he's, a, he's not only a good backup, he's a very good player to come into the Melbourne side. But I think this will revolve around – a player I think that will be a revelation this year. We saw what he's capable of last year. I think he's going to be a superstar of the game and also make Mac, Max Gorn an even better player and a more dangerous player. I'm talking about Luke Jackson in the forward pocket, back up Ruckman. The game actually changes when he goes on the ball. And you can imagine this will allow Max Gorn to keep working on his forward craft. We saw what he do, does in some games. He could be a, a, an awesome force. Max Gorn could be a 30 to 40 goal forward pocket this year and Melbourne don't lose any influence at all. No, it's a massive test for Tim English and Stefan Martin again, isn't it? And thinking back to that grand final, I mean, their midfield was great, but Jackson, you know, Jackson's performance in the grand final really sort of, I mean, the Dogs really need Tim English to go up a couple of levels this year, don't they? And I think he's very promising, but he's got to, much as I hate to sound old school, he's got to toughen up a bit, doesn't he? Well, they're caught between the devil and deep blue sea. They've got a 36-year-old Ruckman who's been a magnificent player and a great warrior for a, for, for a couple of clubs in Stefan Martin. But he has to ruck because the Dogs will need Tim English forward to assist Norton. You haven't got Bruce, Josh Bruce, until August, Rowan. Mm. So they're, they're trying to push English forward and they're trying to get Stefan Martin to compete with Jackson and Gorn. And I think this will hold the key. I'm not saying it's going to happen like it did last year where they rolled on with 16 second-half goals, but I think it's going to be too much for the Western Bulldogs. Yeah, it's not a it's not a great vote of confidence in Hugo Hagen, is it? Who's uh, been named as an emergency, but um, you know, gee, you'd, you'd want him in your your lineup without a Josh Bruce for first game of the season. I would have thought other notable absentees for the doggies: Taylor Duray, uh, Hayden. Yeah, where, where's he gone, Rowan? What what's going on there? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, given Melbourne's 
a, a bevy of exciting small forwards. Well, Bevo does like his uh, surprise selections. The other one, uh, and he is injured, of course, Tim O'Brien, who will be a valuable pickup, I think, in terms of allowing the dogs to handle uh, big, strong goal-kicking forwards. Look, it's not going to be a game... Well, the grand final wasn't really a game decided by 74 points, was it? I mean, it, it was in no way a belting. I still can't get over how, how that game swung around. I think this is going to be a pretty tight game. And look, um, you give your tip first and uh, and a couple of reasons why, and a margin, if you please. I've given my reasons why. They, they'll probably have to move. Uh, and another thing, they've named Shacky up forward, but... He played his best footy in defence last year, so he's going to have to go back and give some support there. Um, Alex Keith just got to the line, Rowan. He's had a few niggles in the preseason, and he's up against Brown for a start. Uh, Fritch got, what, five in the grand final? And uh, of Six, course, Max Gorn and Jackson are capable of anything. So um, I'm going for Melbourne by a comfortable margin of 22 points. The dogs will be terrific but I can see a similar pattern emerging where they're just too big and too physical. Yeah, geez, you're worrying me already with your tip. I, uh, it's, it's, listeners to our podcast would know very well that I definitely had the wood over finding when it came to tipping. He went for way too many shock value tips and I play the percentages, but uh, for some stupid reason, Rob, I'm not doing it in this game. I don't know what it is. It's just a hunch. But I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. Um, and uh, it's not the revenge factor. You cannot avenge a grand final loss. That's just silly. But I think they'd like to make a point. I think they'd like to uh, show the footy well that, yeah, conceding 13 out of the last 14 goals in the grand final isn't really what they're about. Um, I'm surprised a few more people aren't tipping them to at least make a grand final this year. I think they are a real quality grand finalist. I think they've got really serious premiership ambitions uh, and I think they can underline that by winning a close game to open the new season. I'm going for the Western Bulldogs by six points and uh, let's hope it's a ripping game and wouldn't a close margin in a, a great contest uh, give us a fantastic uh, little taster of what we can expect from season 2022. So there you go, first game Rob going for the Demons. I'm going for the Doggies. We're on different sides of the ledger already. Let's see what we're talking about in game number two. Okay, the second game of round one of the new season, the traditional season opener, uh, now season seconder, if you like. Uh, Carlton playing Richmond at the MCG again Thursday evening. 7.25 p.m. local time, of course, head-to-head uh, -head odds provided to the Footyology podcast proudly by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And Palmerbet odds are telling us that, as you'd expect, it's the Tigers that go into this game Reasonably warm favourites. They are paying $1.46 for the head-to-head -head win on Palmerbet and the Blues, $2.75. Uh, well, new look about the Blues and a lot of excitement about the Blues, Rob. Uh, Michael Voss, of course, uh, the new man in charge in the coach's box, 
some big name recruits in the likes of Adam Chera and George Hewitt from Sydney, Chera from the Dockers, Lewis Young coming across from the Western Bulldogs as well. But uh, some big outs for the Blues, none bigger than Sam Walsh. Um, just got a feeling that might make all the difference in terms of their hopes of winning this game. Guys, how are you seeing this one shaping up? Um, there's a couple of key points here I want to raise with you, Rowan. Um, look, out of the last seven times they've played in these um, Thursday night games, five of the margins have been in 20 points margin. That's four goals, a goal a quarter. They've never been decimated. There's been one seven-goal loss at 43 points, and the other one was nine points. I, I've just got a feeling that the opportunity that Voss will give these players, providing they don't get too carried away, too excited and too nervous, um, I think we're going to see an entirely different team. And the first bloke I want to talk about is that absolute talent in Mitch McGovern that we just don't see the talent from. So I, I think Vossi's going to throw him, you know, we've seen him float through half forward, take the odd beautiful mark, but he's basically gone missing for Carlton under T's coaching. I think he's going to go down to the back line. I reckon he might even pick up a rewalt because uh, the Tigers have got a really great move coming up involving Noah Bolter. I think Oscar McDonald, you mentioned Lewis Young, the key defender across from the Dogs. They're going to have to go down and take the place of um, Liam Jones because fullbacks aren't hard to find. So I'm pretty sure Oscar McDonald, McGovern, and maybe a Lewis Young will get that job. Great to see Sam Doherty back. And this is, this is not romance. This is a great recovery, a great story, but this is important. Wing, halfback, coming off the interchange, experience. You said Walsh is out. They've got Chera in from Fremantle and they've got George Hewitt. Hewitt can play a variety of roles. He can tag, he can play tall mid, or he can push forward. This is a really good recruiting coup to get him. And I think this is going to give them a really good opportunity. They haven't been that far away. You've got Jack Graham at Richmond, a little bit doubtful. Uh, Dimmers hopefully can get up. Kane Lambert is out. Grimes should play with a thumb. And then you've got the big three, Dustin Martin, Prestia and Cochin, who from all reports have had outstanding pre-seasons. I like the Richmond, uh, the, the, I like what they're going to do. I'll talk about Bolter now. It's an important selection, Josh Gisbus. You might say, but he's 18 and he's 197. He'll go and play in the back line. Tarrant will be in the back line. And that gives them the flexibility of Noah Bolter. And I reckon this is going to be one of the good moves of the year. Forward, ruck and back. Extremely versatile. A thumping kick. He's going to be important. Well, he, I mean, he, he looked good enough in uh, 2020, didn't he? And um, one, one of a number of players they uh, hit by injury last year. And this, to me, is going to be why I think Richmond are going to come charging back into premiership contention because it's hard for any side to have as bad a run as they did with injuries last year. And I was having a good look at those numbers today. Something like 10 of their, their biggest name players missed something like about a hundred games, an average of about 10 
games lost per each of those players. So about half a season, and we're talking about the obvious ones there, aren't we? Uh, you know, Prestia, Lambert, uh, Martin missed all those games at the end. There wasn't an area of the ground they weren't completely decimated by injury. So just to go into a new season with a relatively short casualty list, I think will just make even mentally such a big difference for them. I think you make a good point about those season openers. The things that's always the thing that's always struck me about them, though, is there been a bit of fool's gold for Carlton in that they've been able to sort of creep closer late in the game, which was pretty much shot to ribbons early. I think that's happened a number of times where Richmond's just sort of taken the foot off the pedal. Yeah, I accept that, Rowan. Yep. Um, but look, you know, that, that said, um, they've been about the mark. And, and look, I think um, victory means plenty to both teams. Don't get me wrong. But uh, just wonder emotionally, it might mean a little bit more to the Blues. I think symbolically, it'll probably mean a bit more. But I think Richmond will be very conscious of that. And I think these are the sort of games they can't afford to drop. Uh, I don't think they will drop this one. I'm going for the Tigers to make it. I think this would make it 12 wins, wins in a row against Carlton. In fact, Carlton's last win over the Tigers, that uh, famous elimination final win back in 2013. I'm going for Richmond to win this one by 18 points. What are you tipping, Rob? Uh, last time Carlton went down by 25 points. Jack Rewell kicked four. Dustin Martin had 31. And Lambert and Graham had huge games. Um Graham's 50-50 and Lambert's out. Vloston is an important player. And I'm just going to back back in Michael Voss to turn this team around, which was a pretty inept defensive team, to be a little bit more stern, have a little bit of steel about them, hang in a lot longer. And with a forward line that includes maybe McGovern up there, we know Kerno can play, Mackay will win the medal, and you've got Martin, I'm tipping Carlton to turn it around after all those times by seven points. Okay. Well, there you go. It's a, it's an upset of sorts. It's not a huge upset, but uh, I think the important thing here is we're both selected differently in the two games so far. It could be an interesting tipping season for us both. So I'm going for the Tigers. Robert Shaw is going for Carlton. Let's move now across town to Marvel Stadium on Friday evening. Friday night football sees St Kilda taking on Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Start time, 7.50pm local time. Uh, Two very interesting teams, St Kilda. Very disappointing last year after having made finals in 2020. And the Magpies, wow, their lowest ever finish last year. 17th on the ladder. New coach, of course, Craig McRae, former Brisbane three-time Brisbane Premiership player coming aboard to take charge of the Magpies. Justin Lepich, um, very highly regarded assistant coach, also joining him in a new-look coaching setup. The odds for this game, head-to-head from Palmerbet. Well, the boys at Palmerbet have St Kilda, reasonably comfortable favourite, paying $1.61 head-to-head. Collingwood, meanwhile, paying $2.00. 32. Uh, I think most people wouldn't be expecting too much necessarily from either of these sides this year. Rob, uh, what are you expecting for both of them over the year? And more importantly, what are you expecting from either of them in this game? I think Palmer Bet's a wonderful sponsor. 
but I think I better uh, put my hand up for a job there. What's that? There's no Billings, there's no Clark, there's no Cofield, there's no Geary, there's no Hanbury, there's no Zach Jones, and Paddy Ryder is 34 with the dodgy Achilles. They're relying on King and um, to kick a winning score for them, along with Membry. One, and um, I think this would be totally the opposite. I think it would be a comfortable win to Collingwood based on the fact that um, over the last year or so, and I love Bucks, but gee, they were a hard watch. I think they're going to be more exciting, a little bit more creative. We're going to see Penderbury back at half back. They get, um, they get Howe and Adams fit back into the team. Roughhead versus King we won't see, which is disappointing. And um, if Paddy Ryder doesn't play, too much reliance on young Marshall. I love Marshall playing that Jackson role or Jackson playing the Marshall role, where you've got a key ruckman, has a spell, and this young emerging superstar comes on to the ground. So Jack Steele presents a real issue for the Pies. Let's see if McRae is a tagger or he's going to back his midfield. And, of course, I, I, I think Degoe will really turn it on, both in a 50-50 Jake Stringer-type role Midfield, centre bounce, push forward, destroy the Saints for mine. This probably isn't a great time to uh, tell you that I've actually tipped Collingwood to win the wooden spoon this year, um, which is more a comment about other sides' improvement than them. Look, you make a really good point about St Kilda's injuries. They're not a, a side that can afford to have a great many injuries to key players, and there's some fairly important ones among that group, and it was the story of 2021 for them, really. The thing, though, about the Pies is I don't think they can afford many injuries at all, and they do have some important absentees in this game, probably almost the most important for for me. Braden Maynard has become the uh, sort of heart and soul of that defensive unit. He's out suspended. Uh, Jordan Ruffhead will miss with a shoulder injury. Uh, Jeremy Howe, likely to play, but a groin injury, and I don't think there's a whole lot of match fitness for him. Would that knock them around a bit? I think it would knock them around more significantly than the absence of two or three yeah. good players were other sides. Look, my my biggest, um, and it's not necessarily a knock on the pies, but what I've seen among their younger players hasn't really blown me away and and look it might happen you know we've heard incredible things about Nick Dacos Josh Dacos you know we've seen a little of what he can do some of those other younger players that came into the mix towards the end of last year I thought just had glimpses here and there but gee there's such a a, an element of the unknown still about so many of the younger players on that side and the continued um, decline if you like and totally understandable but of both Scott Pendlebury and Steel Sidebottom do they have enough really, really good, classy, dependable players on a week-to-week basis? I really got my doubts. And from that point of view, I'm sticking with St Kilda to win this game. St Kilda have got the advantage here because Collingwood's forward line is still a work in progress. So I'm looking for McRae to be quite creative here. And, of course, they do have Dugowie. Uh Dacos is a big watch, Rowan. you got to watch this kid play. I've followed him. I've coached him when he was a kid. We're, talk- kid. we're talking Nick. Not Josh. You're talking the Nick. number one. Yeah, draft Nick. Pick. Yep, Nick. Yep. But um, look, the Saints: Butler, Higgins, Gresham, Membry, Marshall, King. 
that's a very good forward line, but they're being hit, decimated in the midfield and off half back, where a lot of their plays got to be generated. I think Collingwood will do enough to win this game by four goals. Uh, the Mar- I wonder, do you think the Marvel Stadium factor comes into it at all? I'm, my impression of both these sides is that uh, Collingwood don't necessarily play great footy at Marvel and St Kilda might be a bit more comfortable there. Well, we know a side that's very comfortable there, don't we, Ryan? Yeah, we do. But when it rains in Tasmania, other things happen. Anyway, that's for another time. Listen, um, I think you're right. Um, they're the home ground of these teams, St Kilda, Essendon. Um, they get the opportunity to play there. The Saints won last time by nine points in round 16 because they had, I'm probably going against my argument, but I'm sticking with what I'm saying. I think the Saints are decimated. Last time they won, King kicked two, Ryder two, and Membry two. They had a much better goal spread than the Pies. I just think the Pies can control this game in other areas and manufacture enough goals to win this game. All right, give us a margin. Uh, I've got the the Pies by four goals. Okay, 24 points for you. I'm going for St Kilda by 16 points. And before you think it's a setup, we haven't agreed yet, have we? No, this is so, great. So <laughs> actually, great. actually, they'll probably think it's a setup, but get used to it, folks. We'll really agree. <laughs> this is what, just a warm up. I'll tell you what else will happen. Whoever whoever does well and whoever uh, doesn't do well will spend the other uh, the rest of a season chasing tail or staying in front. Very is hard. There any to... Chance the listeners will let us know how we go with our tipping run. Oh, I'm going to. You'll be able to read our published tips and keep no, track of them on the website. Righto. I'm going to be keeping track of them. Don't worry. Finey just gave up in the end. He just didn't bother because it was just, you know, it was low. It became a new buzzword, actually. What what are the uh, the certainties in life? You know, death taxes and me beating Finey in the tipping. So uh, hopefully you'll give me a bit more of a run for my money. All right. That is three games done and dusted. Time now to turn our attention to what should be a big first Saturday of a new AFL season. First game on the Saturday agenda, and it's a big one. It's the uh, it's the country footy game, Rob, which uh, Kevin Sheedy, our good friend Kevin Sheedy, uh, pioneered, if you like, between Geelong and Essendon at the MCG, and it's a good old-fashioned game time too, the 2.10 local time start. Jeez, I love Saturday afternoon footy and being able to watch my own side playing. It should be more of it, I reckon. Uh, Palmer Bet, head-to-head, uh, brought to you by Palmer Bet, the odds in footyology. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. But what do the head-to-head odds say about the Cats and the Bombers? Just calling them up now. And uh, it's the Cats that will start favourites, probably not surprisingly, given they were preliminary finalists last year in the Bombers Ended up eighth, albeit did play finals. The Cats head to head paying a dollar fifty nine. Essendon paying two dollars thirty seven. Uh, how are you saying this one pen out, Rob? Well, there's good news already for Essendon. Seventy percent rain on Friday, twenty percent rain on Sunday, but a magnificent twenty six and clear on Saturday. So Essendon on the expansive ground, a couple of points. I'm being. You know, a bit of tongue in cheek, but uh, a bit facetious. 
You're That's being a bit issue. facetious. Well, it, it, a, but a little it, bit, but it is an issue. And Geelong are a strong side who are quite good in the wet. Too. Oh, very good in the wet. So, look, the conditions will help Essendon. Essendon are going to get a hell of a lot of football. Their midfield and their ball movement was ranked in the top three or four of the competition last year. So they've they've added Sheil and Cornwall back from significant injuries and missing out. So to what was already a terrific midfield. Um, they've got flexibility there to push Kelly back, although he didn't train today. So I'm a bit concerned about that, um, uh, by all reports, I'm a bit concerned about that concussion and whether he gets up. And, of course, Francis uh, still looks a little bit wobbly. Key position players for it, a key position for Essen is real worry. Francis looking a bit stiff and sore, and Harry Jones will be out for some time. Now, the key for Essendon will be their capacity to man manufacture somewhere between 14 and 16 goals, Rowan. So it's going to fall on the feet of Perkins, Langford, Wright, Stringer. Um, it doesn't look like Martin playing. I would play him for his creativity, his goal setting up, even though it had played two debutants, and of course, young Baldwin's playing. At the other end of the ground, the Cats, you know, last time they played, Hawkins got six, Cameron got three, and they were too much for them. So one's got their forward structure in place. They've got Radagalula up there that can play centre-half forward and allow Hawkins and um, Cameron to operate. But Essendon's ball movement to a creative forward line. They've got to hold their back six. They've got to hold their forward six because last time they played... Tom Stewart had 13 marks, Rowan, 13. If he does that again, Essen have got no chance of winning this game. Yeah, some, uh, some uh, availabilities that either side will be sweating on, isn't there? I mean, Mitch Duncan um, uh, told his, you know, sort of 50-50 chance for, for the first game. He'd be a, a massive in for the Cats midfield, given our deep Essendon's midfield bats uh, yeah. these days. So that's important for them. Uh, similarly, though, for the Bombers, uh, huge uh, weight on Jake Stringer, isn't there, both from a midfield point of view but from a goal-kicking point of view. And we did talk about every club's prospects uh, for the season last week. One thing that does concern me a bit about the Bombers is the goal-kicking stocks. Now, they were, you know, they finished fourth for points scored last year, but fair percentage of those goals kicked by Stringer. He was the leading goal-kicker. Kyle Hooker was responsible for, I think, 33 um, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, who you know has had issues from both a psychological perspective and a physical perspective, he contributed a fair share of goals. Uh, the fact that we're talking about a guy like Kane Baldwin, who hasn't even played at senior level, as being so important to their forward setup, worries me in itself. So there are a few concerns like that. The other thing um, that's intriguing about an Essendon and Geelong matchup is historically the level of dominance that the Cats have had over Essendon is quite profound. In fact, they've won 15 of the last 18 games between these two sides. What's the significant but about that, though, is that not many of them have been at the MCG, and two of the recent ones that the Dons have won, and one of them came in 2017, the other one in 2018, both of those games were at the MCG. I'm not sure the Cats are always at their 100% best on the MCG, I think Essendon does play that ground reasonably well, though, now. So something to consider there. Um, 
I may surprise you with my tip here, but very interested to see what you're going to go with. I, I, I think um, it'll depend on a couple of issues. We've spoken about either club's forward line. We know um, Essendon will have the football, but um, Chris Scott holds the key here, I feel. If he gives midfield time to the likes of Parfit, Close, Narkel, Myers, which he's been reluctant to do, um, Mitch Duncan, Buse, O'Connor, Henry should get up Rowan. So um, Tom Stewart's got not an issue. He's got a great occasion coming up with the, um, uh, uh, the birth of another child. So that's going to be uh, an important watch there. And of course, the important Sam Menegola uh, is out. Look, you'd love to see the team and we're not dodging, trying to dodge here. I just think Essendon's forward line is a work in progress. They must play six forwards capable of kicking goals. So I wouldn't play Snelling and I wouldn't play Smith down there. That's why I threw up Martin. I threw up Stringer. I threw up Langford and Perkins rotating through there because you've got to have a capacity to keep the Geelong defence honest at all times. And they haven't done that before. And that's the reason that Tom Stewart has dined out on Essendon time and time again. Very well argued. So after all that, give us a tip and a margin, please. Well, the ground, as you've alluded to very succinctly, will suit the run, spread and pace of Essendon. I just think the experience of Geelong and that constructive, powerful forward line will give them the opportunity to win in a very, very close game by about two goals. Well, we're going different again, Rob. What? Uh, I am tipping the Bombers by four points. Uh, I just think they'll be keen to really uh, knock over a big-name opponent early on just to press their finals credentials. And the other thing that just popped into my head then is I'm not sure Geelong are, are great season starters. They got beaten by Adelaide in round one last year. Um, they got beaten by GWS in round one in 2020. Just got over the line against Collingwood uh, the year before that. Just got over the line against Melbourne the year before that. Not necessarily a great round one team. May not mean a lot, but uh, it's enough for me to cling to, given the lack of exposed form for either side. So I'm going for the Bombers. Rob's going for Geelong. And uh, this is fantastic. After four games, we haven't chosen the same team. Let's see if we can keep this up for the whole of round one. Rightio, next game on the menu on Saturday, 5.10pm local time in Sydney at Stadium Australia. It is GWS taking on Sydney. Uh, great bitter rivals and, uh, boy, their last game, wasn't that a corker, that memorable um, elimination final in Launceston last year, the Giants prevailing by just one point in a game, the Swans will still be kicking themselves over. I think it was 2-7 they kicked in the last quarter of that game. And uh, the Giants certainly gallant uh, in their resolve and surviving into week two of the finals. As a result, what are Palmerbet telling us head-to-head -head for this game? The boys at Palmerbet have Sydney installed as favourite, paying $1.80. GWS... Um, not miles away from that price, you can get $2.04 on the Giants head-to-head -head with Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. 
Um, well, 10 years or so of this rivalry now, Rob, but uh, it's a ripper. They've had some great games. That's- yeah, potentially the, the game of the round because uh, even though um, we are missing Toby Green, one of the three captains of the GWS, and we're hopeful that Callum Mills' Achilles comes up so that he can take his place. These are these are teams pretty close to, to full strength. And um, as I said, this, this will possibly be the best exhibition of the round. Um, it's a cracking game. Uh, the midfield of Taranto, Coniglio, Kelly, Ward, Hopper, up, up against, you know, the veterans in Parker, Kennedy and Mills. But, but as we spoke about the other night, we're favouring Sydney to go into the top four. So I'm thinking that with, with these young players, Blakey, McInerney, Florent, Goulden, there's a big watch on Warner. He's going to be a very good player. And, of course, Hayward. There's tremendous talented youth in the Sydney side, considering they went down to, what, 16th on the ladder and rebounded to six. And I'm looking for them to go on. They have to get over the top of them. Um, it was one point in the final, you know, and GWS own Sydney, an area they can, they own Sydney in the final in contested possession and they won the clearances 43 to 35. They just had an edge in hardness and that, that's the makeup of this team and the way Leon Cameron coached. Yeah, look, again, though, you come back to that 2-7 in the last quarter. Um, I've got no doubt. And look, this has taken nothing away from the Giants. I thought they really showed an incredible amount of character last year, and that's what we've needed to see from them. But I think pound for pound in terms of talent, I think Sydney is a significantly better side than the Giants. Certainly a turnaround from those days of five, six years ago when we talked about the Giants' Ferrari. One thing I love about the Swans, and I don't want to – I might find myself doing this a bit this season because I love watching them play, but it's such a well-balanced list. And you talk about those kids at the bottom end, Golden, McInerney, Rowbottom, Wicks, Warner, McLean, McDonald. But you've then got a whole other tier of players slightly more experienced but still youthful, and I'm talking there about Haywood, Florent, Mills – Genuine stars like Papley, Heaney, Kennedy, Franklin, Rampy, Lloyd, Parker. It's a great mix. They play a really intoxicating, quick brand of footy, and they're potent up forward. Um, I, like you, I'm very bullish about their chances this year, and I think these are the sort of games they need to win and uh, win well, really, um, and and exert that uh, – or, or, sorry, convert that sort of playing field dominance – to the scoreboard. I wonder if Stadium Australia is a bit of a factor here because, uh, you know, not a ground that's seen a lot of footy in recent times. I wonder if either side might have a preference for it. They were the days, weren't they? Stadium Australia. Not a great venue, is it? No, it's not. But, um, look, a couple of last points from me. Really looking forward to seeing Sam Taylor's development at fullback. And, you know, he's going to be pretty close to Lance Franklin for most of the day because I don't think Sydney's going to put... Lance up to the traditional centre-half forward position. And Rowan, you're a movie buff. You asked me to name my top movies. Yeah. Have you seen the movie The Mummy Returns? I, I haven't. I must confess I haven't, no. Well, Hickey and Laddams are going to go up against Matt Flynn, 12 games, Kieran Briggs, 5 games, 
with Braden Pruce out injured. Is 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 he back again, the big man? <laughs> Mummy. <laughs> uh, I don't is know. He, is he on one of those supplementary B classification lists or whatever well, they are? Yeah, it, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Uh, I wonder it if looks it, like it makes a lot of sense to me. I wonder if there's a, um, a statute of limitations or something on how many times you can actually retire. He's getting to that Nelly Melba stage now, I think. But, uh, look, it's a good point because it does shape as a pretty significant advantage for the Swans in the ruck, doesn't it? Look, uh, it sounds like we're both uh, yeah. on the same page here tip-wise, but uh, your tip and margin, please. Well, it's only going to be a seven-point turnaround because this is going to be a cracker of a game. I've got Sydney by a goal. All right, I'm going for Sydney by a little bit here. Um, not a blowout necessarily, but I'm going for Sydney by 32 points. I think they're good enough to win this one well and uh, send a bit of a warning shot across the competition about what they might achieve in 2022. All right, that is Saturday afternoon and twilight. Let's talk about uh, a game being played on Saturday evening. Next cab off the rank, it is two finalists of last year and two, uh, I guess, improved teams over the last couple of years and uh, exciting finals teams still yet to turn that into something more substantial. But I speak of Brisbane and Port Adelaide who meet at the Gabba Saturday evening, 7.10 local time, 8.10 um, Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Still can't work out why Queensland doesn't have Daylight Savings, but there you go. Should be a great game, this. What are Palmerbet saying? Well, Palmerbet have got plenty to say because with them, you get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Uh, remember to gamble responsibly. They're head-to-heads for this game. Brisbane, a comfortable favourite, paying $1.52 head-to-head. Port Adelaide, the boys at Palmerbet, have framed them at $2.53. Interesting history with these two, Rob. Uh, their dominance over each other tends to come in waves. Brisbane has beaten Port the last four times they have played in a run stretching back to 2019. Um, it was Port that won the previous five clashes prior to that. Importantly, though, three of the last four games which um, the Lions have won against Port, those wins have all come at the Gabba, which you'd think is a pretty significant advantage in this round one clash. Is that how you see it? Well, the bottom of my notes, I said you can only go on the home ground advantage in this one. I think uh, Port will be ready to play. Um, Eric Hipwood's going to be a loss. He's not that far away. Dane Zorko has had a bit of an issue, but we'll get to the line. There'll be no Trent Dumont. There'll be no Orazio Fantasia. And, of course, Robbie Gray's a test with a hamstring, as is Charlie Dixon. But they, they expect Charlie Dixon to play. Both, both teams have got really healthy lists, and early indications to me are the this is... Uh, two of the preliminary finals for this year. Just Brisbane. quickly, just let me yep. cut in there quickly. Are you hearing that Hipwood is not far away? I mean, my understanding was mid-season best. Well, well advanced. Yes, well advanced. It's not well advanced this week, but uh, mid-season uh, has moved through to, you know, towards the end of April. 
May. So that's a really good sign for them because that combination with Danaher and McStay, um, you know, they've had two oh. years of hit out at it, these and, teams. And, and Charlie Cameron, and we're already the highest scoring side in the competition. I mean, that is, if he gets up reasonably early in the season, that is massive. It's going to be very hard to hold them to a losing score, I'd suggest. Yeah, they've added Cam Rayner to that too, back from uh, injury, you know, McCarthy, Zorko, and of course, the real eye-opener with, like, not a household name, but gee, keep an eye on Zach Bailey this year. He um, He's going to be one player. I've mentioned uh, Luke Jackson could go to, you know, superstar status in the next couple of years. Well, this bloke's got the capacity to do that forward and in the midfield. So you add that, and then you add the seasoned veterans in Mitch Robinson and Jared Lyons. It's a beautifully balanced team. Um, and, of course, we may see the uh, the full potential reached of uh, Nakia Cockatoo, Rowan. Mm. Yeah, he, uh, he really started to do some nice things to Brisbane. I thought the longer, the more footy he played for them last year. They're, they are fairly, there's a bit of similarity about these two clubs, isn't there? You know, they've both sort of been revived over the last three seasons, but haven't been able to go on to it, uh, on with it. I mean, Port have won two qualifying finals and then lost two preliminary finals at home, unprecedented. Brisbane has, I think, a 74% win-loss record at the Gabba in home and away over the last three years, but just 17%. Uh, in finals. So you look at both of them and you think, have they sort of gone the limits of about how far they go? Are they just going to be destined to fall not quite or just a little short of premiership status? And I, no, I'm, I'm pretty buoyant about uh, bullish about their uh, opportunities well, to take both, a step forward. Both so, of them, though? I, I'm, I'm more, I think I'm more bullish about Brisbane than I am about Port. Well, I'll tell you what, we just pumped up the tyres of the Brisbane people with uh, their young players, but you give me a team with Dersma, Georgiadas, Butters and Rosa, Ro, Rose. Have I got a Rose around here somewhere? He's, he's so good you can drink him. <laughs> and um, you know who I mean, Connor Rosie. And, um, but the focus to me is going to be on the 92, 92 games. We both wish we could have played 92 games, Rowan, but Sam Pepper Powell can can really make a difference if we, if he, you know, he bubbles up to the surface and becomes the player we hope he can, fit, strong and aggressive, because these blokes have got a three-pronged attack. We spoke about Hipwood, not there yet, Danaher McStay, Finlayson from GWS, Dixon and Georgiadis are a really good three-pronged attack for Port. But for me, I think the Lions will continue their so-called domination and win by home ground advantage, goal a quarter, round the 20-point, 20 24-point mark. Just on Sam Powell Pepper, I reckon he's got the perfect role model in terms of being able to go to another level after having had a fair stint, crack at it already, and that is Carl Amon. I mean, Carl Amon, I think third or fourth in their best and fairest last year, absolutely by a mile career best season. But he was a guy who'd been around the traps for some time, and I reckon a lot of people would have thought, well, he's probably, you know, maxed out his potential, hasn't he? But we saw that he went to another level. Who's to say that a guy like Powell Pepper can't, even after this long in the system, improved substantially as well? Do you think that's a fair call? Well, do you agree with me? The Lions? 
I think the Lions will win. Good. You okay. agree on something. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going for Brisbane to win this one. What was your margin? Um, I'm going for about 24 points. Generally, a goal a quarter advantage at home. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take a goal off that. I'm going for Brisbane by 18 points. But there you go. There's a headline. Finally, we agree on a tip. And Sydney. We had Sydney. Oh, true, true. Okay, well, the tide is turning. All right. Let's turn our attention now to Sunday's games. First game to be played on Sunday afternoon is at the MCG again, 1.10pm local time. And Rob, here's an analogy for, uh, or here's a a line for people of uh, yours and my vintage, those fantastic traditional rivals of the (laughs) mid-1970s, Hawthorne and North Melbourne. That's how far back we've got to go. For a line. Gee, they were great rivals. They played off in three of four grand finals between 1975 and 1978. There's your little history lesson for the day. Palmerbet head to head. The boys at Palmerbet and girls at Palmerbet have Hawthorne as favourite, paying $1.67. North Melbourne, you can get $2.21 on the ruse to cause an upset over the Hawks. But, Rob, I've got a feeling we might be in agreement on this one because in our season preview last week, we were both, some might say, unexpectedly upbeat about what Hawthorne might be able to achieve in 2022. Do you see them getting off to a uh, winning start in their new campaign? Well, their Wano motor will be left with egg on our face because this was the time um, in round nine last year where North got off the mark, courtesy of Cameron Zerhar's four goals and Jai Simpkins' awesome 38 possessions, which included 23 possession, uh, 23 contested. So I think North Melbourne's pace and their youth and their enthusiasm is going to really test Hawthorne and really spread and run them. And I'm talking about the likes of um, Jaden Stevenson, uh, Taryn Thomas in the midfield. They've got some exciting youth in there, which is still a work in progress. We admit that. We know that. And I'm just going to bank on the experience of um, of um, Sicily coming back. I think Gunston won't return to that key forward that we saw in those premierships. But if he can float through half forward, back to a forward pocket, come out of full forward a little bit, he's going to be really important. We spoke about the roles of Warple and Mitchell returning to what they do best, but they're going to be troubled by this North pace. There's no doubt about that. So they're going to have to be strong, physical, and well-organized. So it's a really good test for Sam Mitchell to have a look. We get to have a look. And we also get to have a look at David Noble's second year, which we've spoken about, and their system, because we know where they were last year, but we want to see a point of difference. They were in the bottom one or two in all the key areas last year. It looks like they're going to be exciting. They're going to have pace and they want to kick goals. Okay, that might be um, where they miss out defensively and where Hawthorne might get them, I think. I think Hawthorne will get them too. I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm confident in my bullishness about the Hawks. I, I just think... You know, the likes of Gunston coming back and Sicily coming back will make an enormous difference. 
Um, you know, the excitement of, uh, you know, Chang Goth Jaff um, missed the end of last season. I mean, he, he was terrific for He's them. He's back at Rowan. Well, he, he should get to the line. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they, they've got some great players. Another one, um, you know, won't, won't be for a while yet, but Will Day, he's going to be a good long-termer for them. They've got the new coach factor, which I think always counts for a bit, particularly when it's a, a favourite son. You know, I'd be surprised if uh, the Hawks weren't really fired up to give a really good first-up performance to Sam Mitchell. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think North um, have great potential for improvement as well. Really looking forward to seeing uh, Jason Horn francis surely... Uh, he comes straight in for him. He'd have to, wouldn't he? He's, uh, he's that highly rated. And I've seen him play a bit of South Australian uh, football and uh, he is absolutely capable of making a big impression in AFL ranks right from the start. So it's going to be very exciting for North supporters to watch him. I think this will be quite close, but uh, I just, like I said, I think Hawthorne's going to finish a bit higher up the ladder than a lot of people think. I'm going for them to win this one by 10 points. What have you got them... Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see how Mitchell um, is balanced between defence and attack. Last year, though, the Hawks um, were, were seventh, still seventh under Clarkson in team defence. And I'm looking to how Mitchell goes about countering what will be a very offensive front half, forward of centre of North Melbourne. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that Hawthorne have the experience to turn the ball over, force mistakes, and then capitalise. But there's not going to be much in this game, and I've got Hawthorne winning by 12 points in a really improved North Melbourne, but also a good, solid first-up win for Sam Mitchell. And uh, just a, another historical point: uh, they haven't played at the G much these two over the last decade or so. North Melbourne's last win over Hawthorne at the MCG, in fact, came all the way back in 2009. What does that mean? Probably nothing, but I just thought I'd uh, fill you in on that front anyway. Something else you want to add there, Rob? Yeah, who played on Sam Kekovich in the 1975 Grand Final from North Adelaide? Uh, Bowden Javorski. Thank you very much. That wasn't a bad get, was it? I think we're right. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I want to add. All right. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next Sunday game. Sunday afternoon, 3.40 local time, uh, 4.10pm Eastern Daylight Saving Time. That means the game, of course, is at Adelaide Oval. It is between Adelaide and Fremantle. And while we're on a historical bent, why not remind people that is a replay, a rematch of the 2012 qualifying final or semi-final. I don't know, probably shouldn't have gone with that one. Anyway, they did play a final in Adelaide back in 2012. What's going to happen in 2022? Well, the boys from Palmer Bet are here to tell us, get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season from Palmer Bet. Gamble responsibly, head-to-head, it is the Dockers who are favourite, despite the away status that they occupy this week, paying a dollar seventy-five head-to-head. The Dockers, Adelaide, paying two dollars ten. What happens in this one, Robert Shaw? Um, it's a very interesting game. I just I, I like going back over old games and having a look. And Freo won by twelve points last time at Adelaide Oval. Um, 
It was interesting. Like Seedsman had 28, Laird had 29 and seven tackles. Matt Tabner kicked four goals. Now, none of those blokes are there. Mm. This is going to be intriguing. One's got a really strong forward line. Taylor Walker's back with a point to prove, you know, paying back his teammates, paying back the game, maybe. Darcy Fogarty is an emerging talent, as is Riley Thilthorpe. So you add young Josh Rochelle, an early draft pick who I want you to keep an eye on. It's a very exciting front half. But the negative is they got Jordan Dawson because they're not a great kicking side. So they lose him off wing and half back. They lose Rory Laird, their heart and soul, out of the midfield. And, of course, Paul Seedsman is still um, suffering symptoms of concussion. So while they've got a terrific front half and a more than adequate ruckman um, to go up against Darcy, um, they're going to miss out in other areas important. And we've seen that with a few teams tonight. Um, Malira will come back and give them some good kicking skills. Um, and, of course, adding to that to assist Brody Smith with their kicking. They were one of the worst kicking sides going forward last year, Rowan. Just want to ask you a quick one about Laird. I mean, I think that's a massive out for them, and he's going to be out somewhere anywhere between four to six yeah. weeks. I mean, I look at him as being their most important player now. You think he's taken over Rory Sloan around the midfield? Well, I just think he, he's been such a – it's been such a great move to get him into midfield. He's so prolific in terms of possessions. And, you know, his use is pretty good. And he's got I – mean, not Rory's fault. He, he has he's had shocking luck with injuries, et cetera. But I think Weed's become their, their most important player. So, you know, with a young, inexperienced list, his absence is, is massive. And – by the same token, you know, Fremantle are aspiring to become a final eight side. These are the sort of games they've got to win, don't they? Even on the road, but against an opponent who they should be able to beat. On the road, against an opponent they should beat, despite the fact that they've got Matt Tabiner out and Rory Lobb will be out. They're going to have to manufacture another team that's going to have to manufacture a forward line. And interestingly, I don't know your feelings on this, Nate Fife was very strong, Rowan. Mm. My days of forward line are over. Does that mean being picked as a forward or actually playing a forward? Because I'll give him a tip. For them to win on the weekend, him and David Mundy are going to have to rotate through the forward, full forward spot because I don't think Adelaide, if, 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 I don't think Fremantle can kick a winning score, despite the fact that Sarong, Mundy, Fife and Brayshaw make a very strong midfield four. And I've got more confident in Adelaide kicking enough goals, a dozen or 14 or so goals, to win this game at their home ground on Sunday afternoon. That's interesting. It's a big call. And I, I did mention before, though, Adelaide, Started last year like a train, didn't they? They win their first three games. They certainly knocked over um, Geelong at home in round one in what, uh, even at the end of a season, was a, a massive upset. Uh, I don't know, still Fremantle for me. I, I just think um, Fremantle's got enough midfield strength and ball-winning strength to really dominate possession. And I don't think Adelaide will be capable of kicking that sort of tally if they can't get their hands on the footy enough. So... It's a great test for both sides. And, uh, yeah, look, tabbing out for Fremantle does make a big difference. But they've just got to be able to overcome 
setbacks like that. That's what you just have to do now if you're aspiring to be a decent side. You, it's a great you, point about their aspirations and what you have to do as you grow up and you look to command a position just in or just sell it out the eight. But I think um, I think they're going to have a setback. And if it's an upset, it's an upset. But I'm going for Adelaide at home by three points on the back of a little bit of uh, payback magic from Taylor Walker at centre-half forward. Yes, big year for him too. Uh, a lot of redemption to be uh, served by him, I'd suggest. I'm going for Fremantle. I think they will improve further this year, and I think they'll be out to make a statement here. I reckon they'll get the job done. I'm going for Fremantle by 28 points. Jeez, are you writing these down? Yeah. Are you? Why? You think I'm going to... 28 points. Change it after the event or something, do you? No. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it'll be uh, it'll be committed to web page. Don't worry. And there okay. It, there it will remain. One more to go. One more to go, and it's between the coasters. Well, half of them anyway. Final game of round one. It is in Perth at Optus Stadium. It is at 5.40pm local time, which if you're living on the eastern coast, means 8.40. It's a pretty late finish. Sorry, Rob, but uh, that's how the early season goes. And it brings together the two coasters, West Coast at home, taking on Gold Coast. What do Palmerbet tell us about this one? Well, the closest in betting terms game of the round, Palmerbet, are predicting head-to-head. They have West Coast just the favourite, paying a dollar ninety-one head-to-head. Gold Coast paying a dollar ninety-three. So as good as even. Uh, the Suns and the Eagles for this game, which uh, might be surprising because no matter how big an advantage Perth is and uh, no matter how little success Gold Coast have had historically on the road, particularly in Perth, West Coast have an injury list like you would not believe, Robin. I'll just run through it quickly. Oh, not f- again. We'll be here for another hour. That's <laughs> just true, but it, it consists of... You've already done it. No, well, we've had an addition to it since I did it the first time. Who who we found? Did you mention Luke Shuey? I did mention Luke Shuey, but there's another addition to this. If you'll let me go through the list. Elliot Yo, ankle. Jack Darling, foot. Tim Kelly, COVID. Dom Sheed, ankle. Oscar Allen, foot. Jamie Cripps, pectoral muscle. Tom Cole, ankle. Alex Witherden, suspended. Luke Edwards, groin. Luke Shuey, hamstring, doubtful. Liam Duggan, knee, doubtful. All those others will definitely miss. And an addition, even since I read this out at the start of this podcast, Liam Ryan, now a confirmed COVID case. He too will miss. Even new recruits, Campbell Chesser and Greg Clark aren't available. Who is available, Rob? Are you available? They might uh, put your hand up. They might give you a run in the defensive goal square. Well, it's going to be a uh, a big day for uh, Barras and McGovern. Because um, they're going to have to stand up in the key defence with support of uh, of uh, Hearn, who's uh, going around for another season. Look, last time they they won by twenty five points against Gold Coast, and um, it's quite interesting. Oscar Allen kicked four, Dom Sheet had thirty four, and Barras and Hearn had um, twenty five marks between them. Um, 
I'm not being flippant, but you made a very good point off off air that you found a re you were trying to find a reason not to pick the Gold Coast. Uh, this is an extraordinary list. Uh, you also mentioned hard to win in Perth. Can I qualify that by saying it was very hard to win at Subiaco? Mm. And um, but um, I, I just think that um, if Sam Collins can have a really big day on Kennedy and they can find a way to get through around or over Barras and McGovern, this exciting forward line with Jack Nicasius going forward to join Isaac Rankin um, and a midfield that the in-form and returning to form Matt Rowell, Took Miller had a great year last year, Anderson's a very good player, Ainsworth's exciting. I just think they're, um, and you add the experience of Brandon Ellis and David Swallow, it is very, very difficult to mount a, a, a case for the West Coast Eagles to record what would be an, an extraordinary win by them. Well, they are yet to earn a win in Perth, um, as it stands, or certainly at Perth Stadium. Five appearances there for five defeats and uh, closest margin in any of them. 23 points. In fact, in fairness, four of those five defeats have been 20-something points, so they haven't necessarily been smashed. But it's just one of those games you'd never really think about tipping Gold Coast in a Perth road trip. But as you say, extraordinary circumstances. I've got to say, too, the other thing about Gold Coast, when I heard the news about Ben King, I thought, well, there you go. It's They cannot take a trick. They lose a, a massively important player virtually every season very early on, or in this case, even before it, that ends any hopes they had. But I don't know. I watched them in that game against Geelong, which they won pretty comfortably. But even without King, I thought they looked pretty good. I really liked Mabby or Chol as a pickup. He's going to be touch and go because he did uh, do tweak the hammy a bit and may miss that first game. Uh, Sam Day won't appear to a bit later on. Charlie Constable's another pickup of theirs who won't appear for a while. But those kids keep improving. You know, Matt Rowell looks like he's ready to sort of get back to that form we saw from him before he started that run of injuries. So um, that's massively important for them. I think some of those younger types who've been around the scene a while now, Tuke Miller is such a great leader for them now. They just look a bit more confident and a bit more disciplined and a bit more uh, like they know what's going on and like this is a, a challenge that wouldn't necessarily phase them. And this is the sort of thing they have to aspire to. Look, not many sides are going to be as injury crippled as West Coast is for this game. And Gold Coast needs to look at that and say, we should win this game. In terms of talent, what's available, we should win this game. And why not? I think they're good enough to go and win it. Uh, I'm going for Gold Coast to win this game by 10 points. What say you? Um, if if they, and I, I haven't done my homework on this, but... Uh, the one we haven't mentioned is Andrew Gaff on a wing. So important to their linking from defence into their forward line with his left foot kicking. So I would be watching this game very closely because if Stuart Jew uh, allocates a tagger, a real hard one-on-one, he can take away uh, the, one of the remaining creative inside 50 players for the for the West Coast. I'm going for Gold Coast by 31 points. Oof. 
in the context, even in the context of the uh, injury situation on West Coast, that would be a very significant win, I'd suggest, for the Suns. That is round one previewed. Let's just uh, run through quickly what we've tipped for each game. Melbourne, Western Bulldogs. Uh, I'm going for the Doggies. Rob is going for the Demons. Carlton and Richmond. I'm going for the Tigers. Rob is going for the Blues. St Kilda, are you detecting a theme here? St Kilda Collingwood. I'm going for the Saints. Rob is going for the Pies. Geelong and Essendon. Rob is going for the Cats. I'm going for the Bombers by a whisker. GWS and Sydney, we are both tipping the Swans in that one. Brisbane, Port Adelaide, we are both tipping the Lions. Hawthorne and North Melbourne, we've both gone for the Hawks there. Adelaide, Fremantle, we differ on this one. Rob going for the Crows. I'm going for the Dockers. We are both tipping Gold Coast to in their duck if you like, in Perth and upset the Eagles in the final game of round one. That is our round one preview done and dusted. Thanks again to Palmerbet. Proud to have them on board as a major sponsor this season. Uh, Palmerbet, get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. How do you reckon we went, Rob? You happy with our first preview? Well, we'll get feedback. There's no doubt about that, particularly about our tips. But um, we've done a lot of work on the sound behind the scenes. So <laughs> hopefully um, we were reminded that it was a bit scratchy. But uh, I've spent the afternoon at Officeworks and bought every known plug and microphone and headphone known to mankind. So um, let's hope it was good. Thanks, uh, enjoyed it. Uh, I think it was very good, uh, and there's no doubt you are diligent with your homework. Already, I think your technical knowledge, uh, it might put you just ahead of Mark Fine. Uh, I'm sure Fine will be an interested listener to this too. And don't forget Mark Fine, and we're going to uh, – well, actually, yeah, there's a bit to be uh, done there, but uh, let's give him another plug early on in the season. Mark Fine now, the uh, proprietor of Lenny's Fine Foods in Inkerman Road, North Caulfield, near the corner of Kuyong Road. Pop down there and get yourself a bagel and some other fine... What's his specialty? What's his specialty, Rowan? What's what's his calling card? No, I wouldn't like to answer that without some inside knowledge, but I have eaten Mark Fine's cooking, and I can tell you he really does know his food. He's a good cook, and he has taken to this task very, very passionately. Not just him, mind you, his wife, Natalie, uh, very invested in this as well. So pop down and see the finds at Lenny's Fine Foods in Inkerman Street, North Caulfield. We'll be back. Don't forget our twice-a-week podcast starts now. We will be back on Sunday evening to wrap up what should be a fantastic round one. Uh, we'll see you then. We'll see you then too, Rob. See ya. Thanks very much, Ron. Catch you later, everyone.